well and welcome to episode 57 of the mtg complex cast my name is john and i'm joined by my co-host chris hey this week we're going to be talking about the modern mythic championship as well as our thoughts about and experiences with the one in mulligan before that we're going to get into our weekly roundup what have you been up to chris well in the past two weeks of fnm i went four no both times Ooh, so that was pretty feel good um so my first week back from my trip to Fiji, I played tried and true good old amulet Titan after not touching it for two weeks, which is always a good idea <laughs> to play your most complicated deck after not playing magic at all. Yeah, man. For the same period of time. But hashtag didn't matter. 4 0 GGZ, we got there. Um, <laughs> GGZ. Wow. <laughs> wow. To be honest, I don't remember a ton about it. Okay, okay. I do remember the first match. The first game because it was a it was a doozy of a game. I played against good old fashioned Sultai Mill. Oh yeah, good old fashioned. And Clean there were magic. like four mill decks there that night. Yeah, it was it was bad. People were tilted. <laughs> that is tilted as my mill opponent. I'm pretty sure. So game one, he, I'm looking. Oh, he mulligans to five. I mulligan to four. Okay. And I get there. I think I killed him with not that many cards left in my deck. And he had two Hedron Crabs in play and never drew a third land. He never actually crabbed you. Yeah, he never actually crabbed me. He just played them as like a feeble attempt to not die and he... The, the titan was too strong. And it was definitely a very low number because I'm pretty sure you said that if you hadn't mulled so low you would have lost. So, oh, I think I, yeah, I went to one card in library when I killed him. Yeah. Yeah. You'd said if you had not mulliganed like you had, you would have, uh, would have lost. So that's gotta be tilting to lose to the big moles, but also in a, in a different way to the big moles. <laughs> Let me tell you, Amulet of Vigor does not enjoy having the card Mesmeric Orb in play. Yeah. Yeah, it one's a beating. <laughs> and then I had, like, a double amulet, so it's like, oh, I get to, like, kill him really fast, but if I mill the wrong lands when I'm going off, then I don't get to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah, because it doesn't... Oh, uh. <laughs> I didn't even think about the, like, the, the active milling as you do the thing rather than just untap milling. Ugh. Yeah, so it was just like, well, and I have to put a bounce into play, so there's two untapped triggers off a of bounce land, so that's two cards milled. I think he had, like, double orbs, like, that's four cards milled. It's like, well, hope we don't mill our Vesuva, <laughs> otherwise he gets to live. <laughs> and we shit. didn't, we, we got there, thank wow. god. So lucky. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> I could have gone down to zero cards in library the turn I killed him. Uh-huh. But it would have been unnecessary. It would have been like, I have one card left in my library, I'm going to Ancient Stir for the land because I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then game two, oh boy, game two. So I uh, I put a Hive Mind in my deck for for that week. Just one. As you do. <laughs> um, what was I playing instead of the second one? I think I was main decking like a Tireless Tracker or something. I don't know. Uh-huh. Something that was worse. And he's doing his mill thing pretty pretty fast. 
and I land this hive mind. But he's playing Sultai Mill, so he has like green mana to pay for my summoner's pack. So I have yeah. one summoner's pack sitting in my hand. I'm just like, um, yeah, this isn't good enough. I can't actually kill him. So I guess I have no choice but to pass. And I had like, I don't know, 18 cards in my deck left or something. <laughs> Not very many. And he goes for an end step bounce spell on my hive mind. I forget which bounce spell. No, no, sorry. It wasn't a bounce spell. It was an assassin's trophy, which is basically the same. Effectively the same thing. Uh-huh. Something to get rid of the hive mind. So he goes for a, uh, an end step assassin's trophy on my hive mind, triggering my hive mind. And so I figured, well, if my hive mind's gonna die, might as well cast my summoner's pact. Yeah. Like, what else is it doing? So I'm like, oh, I cast it, trigger here, you get a copy. You wanna go search for a green creature? He did not. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess I'll go search for a green creature. Do 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 look, it's a titan, the last titan in my deck. Maybe this does something. I don't know. Probably gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he lets his assassin resolve, which I targeted his uh, shield aisle. So he's like, oh, in response to that, I'm gonna float a blue mana. And I'm gonna cast Mission Briefing. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Trigger Hive Mind. I'm gonna play Mission Briefing. And he's like, Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Like, I'm going to cast this summoner's pact from my graveyard and trigger hive mind. <laughs> He's like, "Did I just kill myself?" <laughs> yes, it would appear so. <laughs> oh man. That's pretty brutal. So apparently he, he did that because I had searched with my Summoner's Pact and he wanted to um, Mission Briefing Archive Trap me. Because uh -huh. I only had 18 cards left. He said, ah, yeah, so good. Yeah. But uh, he, he failed to remember that my Mission Briefing happens before his Mission Briefing. Which just lets me recast the pack that I literally just cast. <laughs> his, uh, his life was what was brief. <laughs> yeah, the rest of the matches I don't remember particularly well. Wow, must be nice to just stomp so hard you don't even remember. It was two weeks ago. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, I just I just don't really remember. The in the the fourth round, my my opponent didn't offer to split, and so neither did I, and we just ended up playing, and I won. I think it was against the Blue Red Phoenix. I got destroyed in the first game. And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> I'm in danger. Am I going to fall victim to the no splits kill them all? Am I going to do the big die? <laughs> but uh, rallied back games two and three pretty convincingly. I think game three was pretty close. So game two, I just kind of wrecked him. After the match, he's like, man, this matchup feels really bad. What am I supposed to do? Like, blood the moon. thing? Blood, blood moon. <laughs> do the blood moon. I think he had a blood moon in one of those games. And I just got to pop it and then pop him. As you do. Hashtag no bad matchups. <laughs> yeah, because he got to... He, like, plays this Blood Moon, and... I get to, like, put, you know, my bounce signs into play for no no penalty. And then Pop goes to the moon with, with the Rex Sage, and now I have wow. tons of mana and get to do whatever I want. Yep. Although I, I do remember losing the first game because he drew all four of his thingins in the ice. Thingins in the ice. 
thing is on the Isa. So I think I killed... He just got like one extra one to eluding and had two, and I think I like two for one with EE, and then he just played a fourth one, and I and I died. <laughs> wow. I only have one EE in my main deck, so... Uh, you don't play Academy Ruins anymore. Not in the main deck, no. What a scrub. It is still my sideboard, by the Good. way. Good card. MVP. But a uh, little tight on space in the main. I don't know much about Amulet, but I do know that I like Academy Ruins and Amulet. It's sweet. Yeah. Makes the creature decks do the big die. <laughs> We're looking at you, humans. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then this past week, I went ahead and played good old spaghetti and meatballs, Red Eldrazi. Oh, yeah. I, I was pretty list. shocked when I saw you actually playing this. I like walked up and you were just playing this, and I thought you were playing like a for fun game at first. I was like, "Oh, Chris brought Eldrazi, and he's just like playing a for fun game." And I was like, "But but why?" And then it became apparent that it was not a for fun game, and I was extra confused. <laughs> I think a lot of people were like not expecting me to be playing this deck. Um, I mean, I am known as the amulet guy, but when I go like turn one Eldrazi Temple, they're they raise an eyebrow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, again, 4-0 with this deck as well. I thought I was going to die round one for sure. Uh, I played against the green-white deck, and my my first game, oh, I got my shit pushed in by <laughs> uh, Hero of Precinct 1. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the one and done. <laughs> the thing goes wide real quick. So my hand had like a turn one chalice and not much else going on until like a turn four TKS. So I was like, well, I mean, turn one chalice is really good, right? And it wasn't. It was terrible. He <laughs> was on the play. He went turn one noble hierarch and then never even drew a single one drop of the rest of the game. <laughs> Needless oh, yeah. to say, I boarded that out real quick. Yeah, you played against three drops of the deck, right? <laughs> Twos and threes, yeah. So those of you who don't know what Hero of Precinct 1 does, it's a two mana... 2-2, two, two, and it says whenever you cast a like, mon, like multi-colored spell, yeah. you get a 1-1 one, one soldier. It's a young pyromancer, but but for multi-color. Yeah, so he plays that, and then he plays like Voice of Resurgence, gets a token. Another Voice of Resurgence gets a token. And then voices are also white, so like Honor the Pure pumps his whole team, and Slide Pride Mage makes a token. Yeah, Locks it on then, Smiter, Wiltleaf Liege. Yeah, so I like when I finally thought on Serium, I he shows me a hand of double wilt leaf liege, honor of the pure dauntless escort. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, and he only had three mana, and so my plan was to take dauntless escort and hope he never drew a fourth mana source. He never drew a fourth mana source. Man, so lucky. He still destroyed me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Honor the Pier is freaking insane in that deck. Like, And, like, trying to slog through his voice resurgences was, like, impossible. Yeah. Because then the tokens were just bigger than all of my creatures, and I had no recourse, really. I feel like that's exactly the type of deck that Eldrazi struggles the most against, actually. Yeah, it was just this, like, two and three mana big dumb creature deck, and, like, his creatures were, like, about as big or could get bigger than mine. Yeah. And I don't have any way to get to really get through. And like, um, the the deck is really redundant. So like, Thought Not Seer doesn't really like do a whole lot against the deck, and it's yeah. not really targeting Eternal Scourge at all. So it just dies. 
<laughs> doesn't get to like come back. Yeah, Trosgrus is blocked and dies. And you're sad. And like Obligator's not even that good because like he, I don't get the anthem effects that he has. Yeah. So if I steal it, it's like way smaller. If I steal his like voice token, it's like it usually shrinks too. Yeah, Dismember is pretty underwhelming because like you're taking damage to cast it. I mean, Dismember's okay because like the real problem is the go wide aspect. So I can't I can't like race him because he can just chump me with his little like tokens. Yeah. So I really need to make sure his token generator is not on the table. Yeah, that's true. So it's like a kill on site. I managed to <laughs> game two. I got to kind of run him over because I was on the play and had like a much faster Thanon Seer and he didn't have a Noble Hierarch to accelerate him into something interesting. So just was a little bit too behind. I got to like exactly him with an Obligator stealing this <laughs> creature. Yeah. And the third game was actually really, really close. Um, I thought I was dead on board because I had a situation where I have like, I think it was a Reality Smasher plus Obligator or Eternal Scourge or no, 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 sorry. It was like a Rally Smasher, Mimic, and I had like a Ratchet Bomb and a Serum Powder. And he has like a Solid Pride Mage and two other creatures, like a Gaddock Teague and a Voice, and a Gavney Township. And so I'm at three life. Uh-huh. So if it's if I if he gets a turn and I don't have any more creatures in play, he just attacks me, pumps the Gavney, I just lose. So I really need to rip something sweet off the top here. And um, I'm able to find a Obligator. And at first I'm thinking, like, this doesn't do it. All this does is let me triple triple trump. Like, I steal a creature. It's like, doesn't even do anything. Because <laughs> I, I just died in the crackback. He's still, like, 20 life or 18 life or something insane. And then I realize... He had, he had tapped out for his voice plus his uh, key. And he also had an honor of the pure. So I was able to obligator, steal his pride mage, attack him with it, and then sacrifice it to destroy his honor of the pure. <laughs> Galaxy brain. Which was sweet. And I like didn't, I, but I couldn't attack with anything other than the Kwasali pride mage. Because <laughs> I would risk dying on the crackback. Gotcha. And then when he pa- he it was his turn, all he did was pump Gavney and pass, and so I'm like still not out of the woods. And it, and I was like, why is he even playing Gaddock Teague? I'm so confused. Like Chalice is so garbage against him. Like I took it out. Like this Gaddock Teague isn't doing anything. And then I realized in my hand I have a Chandra Torture Defiance. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, that that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, I walked up. I actually saw the end of that game, and you were sitting at like two life. And you had a Chandra and an Anger of the Gods in hand and a bunch of pain lands. And I was like, sweet red cards, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I I rip Rending Volley for the turn, which is like the best draw possible. Uh-huh. Because this member would have killed me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had already used two abrades. So Rending Volley let me kill his Teague, but even if I killed his Teague, I still couldn't play my Chandra because then I would have dropped a two life and then died to my lands. <laughs> but uh, I was able to Rending Volley his Teague in response to his Gavin on his turn, 
which left him exactly dead on board to my my creatures because he could only block one. Mm -hmm. So barely eked that one out. Felt like I stole that that match. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I ended up beating him later the, in the evening, and he got very unlucky in our games. He like flooded out in one game and got mana screwed in another. In like a matchup, I had no business in hell winning. <laughs> I felt bad. I was like, man, this is like definitely his match to win like 90% of the time and he just had really bad draws so bummer for yeah. him I mean it's also really funny to me like how I show up with this deck that is very very similar to what was played at the you know melee championship whatever and I'm like really struggling against this very kind of you know just creature deck yeah like yeah, I'm we... just gonna play some creatures and some anthems and I'm like, mm -hmm. wow, this is really hard to deal with. Yeah, I think the format's just moved away from decks like that. Because um, decks like that get like destroyed by Thing in the Ice. Like, just, oh, yeah. just bent over backwards by Thing in the Ice. But against like what you're doing, man, it's real hard to beat those decks. <laughs> uh, then I got to play against the, the Red-Blue Phoenix deck. I mulligan to four. I beat him because Chalice of the Void is insane against Phoenix. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> and then game two, uh, I got to see the power of the new Zahili. Uh -huh. He played the new Zahili, and I was not able to kill him immediately, and he made a lot of tokens. Interesting. He made, like, five tokens the turn he untapped. Oh. And I... He was at, like two three life or something and so with my board i couldn't even punch through i needed to hit like another land for a second reality smasher because the first one came into play off of seeming the spirit guide plus lands mm -hmm. so i thought okay my out is drawing a land and smashing him and i you know i kill him my only out is drawing a land and i drew a card and it wasn't a land and then i realized wait a minute this is also an out i drew anger of the gods <laughs> <laughs> so kill all your tokens reality smasher lives slap you for five you're dead what was he at? Like three. Oh, three. So Ramonette Bruins wasn't an out either. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that's easy to forget about too. I did get to Ramonette Bruins someone uh, that night as well. I think they were at exactly two. Yeah. <laughs> so gross. Putting a shock on your man, on your mana. <laughs> yeah. It's like Exile Spirit Guide, make a red, activate my, my desert. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's that's not fair. Um, I forget what I played round three. And then the last round, again, my opponent didn't offer to split, and neither did I. I figured if he offered, sure, I'll take it, but he didn't, so we just played it out. He And and then uh, he won the die roll and said he's beyond the draw, and I was like, I'm going to lose. <laughs> oh, no. You guessed it. He was playing 8-Rack. Um, God, 8-Rack is an abysmal matchup. A deck like Aldrazi can, like, never beat the deck playing Smallpox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that deck is, like, cleaning up at our shop lately. So, he was on the draw, but I didn't have a turn one Chalice. I had a turn two Chalice, so he just, like, thought-seized it. And then just, like, ripped apart my hand, and all I had were some mopey idiot creatures, and... It actually, it actually only got there because we got down to like top deck mode after being smallpoxed a bunch of times. But Eldrazi Temple is really broken; it makes two mana. So if you only have one land, 
and it makes it's two mana, one. it's better than having one land that makes one mana. Shocker. <laughs> so I was able to like top deck, like play three drops off of two lands. Yeah. Whereas he would draw three drops on two lands and like be stuck. Like can't play it. He's literally out of the veil. Can't play, you know, whatever uh-huh. else. And when I already have no lands, no cards in hand, any other discard spells you draw are, are pretty terrible. Right. And he, he it took a while, a while to find a, a rack effect. So I actually was able to barely race him out. And then in the second game... You mean the third game? Yeah, the, the last game. I think he... He just didn't quite have the, the, the right hand he needed. Um, he had like a turn one non-targeted discard, like a funeral charm and not an IOK. Which let me mm-hmm. chalice him, and then it was really bad news yeah. for him, because all of his win cons, his racks are one mana, and the overwhelming majority of his discard spells are one mana. It just has a bunch of dead cards stuck in hand at that point. Yeah, yeah. And so then when he did finally find a, a two mana spell to, to cast a wrench mine, I just discarded an extra chalice, and it was <laughs> a big deal. Yeah, yeah. People were. I think it's Tom Ross was talking specifically about wrench mind and how it's like pretty bad because people randomly play artifacts. I think he was talking about Devrel or whatever, about how it was like worth putting in the deck because like wrench mind is pretty bad. Yeah, so I asked him about Devrel or Devrel, whatever the hell his name is afterwards. And he was playing one in his deck. Um not sure how to feel about it yet, because he just hadn't played with the card enough. So Yeah, it's still really new. I would imagine it would be fairly good, but three drops are also kind of a liability in your small box deck. Yeah, definitely. They don't Although, get to play Soul Lands in Modern like Eldrazi does. I'm also pretty sure that the only reason why I was able to beat him is because I asked him after the match, and he revealed to me that he does not play a single copy of Ensnaring Bridge in his deck. Oof. Eldrazi can never beat that card. Yeah. <laughs> like, ever, in a million years. Me of Sideboard or Braid, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I brought him my Braid because I was terrified of the bridge, but he told me he just didn't have him. So. <laughs> Which is good because I never drew a braid. <laughs> <laughs> Did you bring in Shatterstorm too, or no? No, I didn't bring in Shatterstorm. It felt a little, little bit too narrow there. Yeah, kind of clunky, and and I didn't want to. I don't really want to be destroying my chalice. Yeah, that's fair. So makes sense to me. Yeah, anyway, have your uh, last two weeks of magic binge on. Well, I did half as well as you did. Which is to say, I went two and two both weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I had fun. Uh, I played Esper both times, but not exactly what you'd expect uh, for one of the weeks. So the first week, I took my shiny new Jace's first spin, and I played Esper Control. Pretty standard deck, you know, single Kaya, some main deck, Nihil Spell Bombs, yada, yada, yada. You've all seen it before at this point. Um, I played against the Mirror round one, and I never played the deck before i think my opponent had also never played it or had just recently picked it up i forget which and it is a grind (laughs) i bet um the esper charm mirror yeah and i've actually felt pretty comfortable just because i've played so much control like in the last few years i guess like the last two years i've played a lot of modern control decks like i've been playing jeskai control jeskai tempo Blue-white control, blue-white tempo, swans. Like, I've just played so much control that um, I actually felt, like, pretty confident in, like, what I wanted and how I wanted to, like, to take the, the course of the game. 
Uh, and so I felt like I played pretty tight with everything except for Esper Charm, which was really hard to kind of evaluate like what mode I wanted to be using a lot of the time. Although after some reflection, I think it's probably better a lot of the time just to draw because um, your opponent is like potentially if they have like a lot of cards in hand, going to just have like a spare land at least to pitch, um, which is like not always like what you want to get out of your hand, out of their hand. And at least like if you draw land, like you could potentially be happy playing it. I don't know if that's flawed logic because like they're technically happy to be playing the land too. But I think drawing cards probably makes more sense. I'm not exactly sure on that one. I guess it's it's really contextually dependent, right? Like the texture of the game. Like, are like are you, if you're full-handed and they're, you know, also full-handed, or whatever, you probably want to discard them, not draw cards. But anyways. I don't know. Wouldn't it be kind of the opposite? Like if they're down on cards, you'd be more willing to mind rot them. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. It depends, really, right? Like it like it really depends on like whether they've been like making plays or not. Um. Yeah, it's hard. Like, <laughs> like if you're both like sitting there staring at each other, like, do you want to discard them or do you want to draw more cards? Right? Like, this also depends on how good your hand is, right? So yeah. if your hand is just stacked already, like, yeah, I don't need any more cards. Like, I feel like in this really, really long games where you're both just staring at each other with a bunch of cards, you just want to like keep hitting land drops, like, because eventually it's gonna be like whoever has more mana gets to bully the other person out when you actually do have a fight. So, I I feel like a lot of the time especially pre-board um the person with the most lands is just super favored because you don't have dispel yet after board dispel kind of can crack things up in a little bit where like just sheer mana advantage isn't as important um yeah because it's like who drew more dispels kind of comes into play at that point but game one just like sheer mana advantage isn't is huge um and then so i won game one and then game two uh i managed to uh disrupt him from sticking an early walker and then stick a jace and then stick a teferi and you know how that story ends <laughs> um it's really hard to beat for any deck let alone a control deck um and then i played i'm trying to remember how i played because it's been two weeks like you said it is actually kind of hard to remember especially for someone that doesn't have photographic memory like you do uh <laughs> uh i want to say it was pretty close the matches that i lost i think i played like another control deck and then I played two of the matches that I lost. It's vague to me now. I have issues remembering what I ate for lunch, let alone two weeks ago. Uh, I do remember a lot better how things went at this week's FNM, though, where I played Esper of a different flavor altogether. Um, so as we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the podcast, um, at the Mythic Championship 2, um, decklists were public. So they published every single player's decklist, um, but the sideboards were limited to just what was in the board not the number of cards and so i found a couple interesting decks but i found a particularly spicy little number say uh an esper mid-range deck um i want to call this like invitational card tribal because it's got it's got four dark confidant and four meddling mage in it so you got good old picula and bob uh Going Snapcasters on. in there too, right? No, no snaps. Doesn't use the graveyard at all, actually. Oh, no uh, snaps. No. Yeah, which is really interesting. Surprising. Uh, John played a deck without Snapcaster. I know, right? I, I, I surprised to be sure. <laughs> but uh, so this deck is really strongly styled after like a an older Jund list. Um, it's got four Bob, some Liliana's, uh, a bunch of discard, 
uh, and you know removal. So it plays kind of like a gen deck where you're just trying to like get them you know empty handed. Uh, but the texture of how it does it is actually a little different. So it's got four bobs, four meddling mage, three geist of saint draft, two vindelian clucks, and it's got two lilianas and two jaces as the like threat package. Then you've got some pushes, inquisitions, paths, thoughtsies, uh, a collective brutality, and then you got two mana leaks and three spell pierces as your like uh, your protection. It's just really interesting. It's like um, kind of like a deck where you're okay having Liliana with counterspells in this deck because like a lot of times in these you know these Liliana counterspell decks they don't they don't work together very well because you don't want to be like you know holding a counterspell and like trying to empty people's hands out at the same time. But uh, in this deck, the spell pierces just kind of serve to kind of escort your Liliana, Jace, or Geist into play, and then once once they hit play, you're like fine not having counter spells anymore except maybe to protect them like you're you're pretty okay you know pitching them once your opponent's empty-handed i mean um, it's a mid-range deck more so yeah. than a control deck exactly yeah it's it's <laughs> a mid-range deck and you have to play it like a mid-range deck i think um and then it's got two nihil spell bombs um which i was unsure of um i think that's just the phoenix tax this was a pt list um so i'm not sure i didn't really like the spell bombs very much like they came in handy in in one matchup but um i don't i don't know about them but since this was an open decklist event, I think the meddling mages just had a ton of uh, of advantage that you don't normally have, right? Um, knowing exactly what your opponent's on for that turn two meddling mage is is huge. <laughs> and I figured, well, you know, I don't have open decklist, but a great escape, you can kind of reasonably guess what people are going to be playing, especially by turn two. You know, um, people have multiple decks, but you know, you're going to see at least one land drop and probably a spell out of them on turn one, so you can usually figure out what deck they're on. And I was like, you know, it's like almost as good as open deck list. I'm going to play it because the deck's super sweet and I like all these cards a lot. And round one, I sat down and my opponent was on the Neoform deck that's been tearing up Moto. Oh boy. And I got some meddling mage Allosaurus Riders and he decided he could not beat that card game one. <laughs> so I got basically a free win on the back of main deck meddling mage, which was a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. Haven't had anything like that happen since uh back when we went to the team gp and you got to uh meddling mage storm game one yeah so how did you detect that he was on the neoform deck game one before you just did the big die so it was really weird we mulled a lot and i actually didn't play this meddling mage till like turn four <laughs> and so he like mulled and like didn't do the thing and it was like he played like uh is it gemstone mines the one you play in amulet with like the charge counter the yeah. mining counters on or whatever yeah so he played that and he played like this like two mana like really bad impulse uh like a sorcery speed impulse from the new set and he told me later on he was playing it instead of serum visions because he just thought it was better in the deck but i was like oh okay like this is like very suspect he might have also had like a chancellor reveal i think before the game started i think that was what it was i think it was the land plus the chancellor made it like pretty obvious mm. and the cantrip was like okay i haven't seen this but it's like pretty clear what he's doing and we just got kind of dirtled a bit until i found my second land and like meddling maged him so i was like very lucky that like we both had non-functional hands and like i managed to hit you know mana before he did um and then in game two um he like didn't have the kill right away again and i just had like discard into geist of saint draft 
seems good <laughs> yeah so like he died um <laughs> so yeah that was sweet um then i played against like grixis control Ugh. and like meddling mage dark confidant is really bad against like the four colgons command snapcaster bullshit deck <laughs> like oh my god it was so hard to keep any of my value creatures in play yeah and you have like no clock at that point either Oh, it wasn't Grixis Control. It was actually technically Grixis Delver, but he had it built like very controlling esque. Like he didn't have Cryptics, but like he had like all the card advantage suite. So it was like a really slow Grixis Delver. Um, and he had like Young Pyromancer, and so like I didn't even keep Geist in the end, or I, I cut some Geist because like you can't even get through like the tokens potentially <laughs> to kill him with Geist. So that was a uh, an interesting one. That that was like really close. I ended up losing um that match but it felt really close uh so then i played against um blue red phoenix and that was like really close as well um like game i won game one and then game two i ended up having like two meddling mages in play and he managed to like stick a jace the mind sculptor and just like minus it bouncing me like a mage every turn which was really hard to deal with <laughs> surprisingly and we ended up in uh, a situation where he just ended up like, I think he like managed to stick a Pyromancer's uh, Ascension and kill me with that after like really dragging the game out. And then game three, I ended up in a scenario where I like cast a discard, a discard spell on him early and I see he has a Blood Moon in his hand, which is a card that the original version of the list literally can't beat if it doesn't counter or discard it like they just didn't even have an answer in the board and i had added an engineered explosives to the board so i at least had like an answer to it in air quotes <laughs> yeah, is this an answer <laughs> is this an answer yeah but um he also had a thing in the ice and i didn't have any removal in hand at the time i was like oh man i'm gonna get completely destroyed by this thing in the ice if i don't take it and then like i had a spell pierce for the blood moon i was like yeah that's fine i'll just you know i'll just like spell pierce this blood moon it'll be it'll be fine and so um i like take the thing in the ice and then um basically ended up like very heavily telegraphing spell pierce the next turn like i think i went like two drop holding up blue mana and so he didn't cast the moon he cast something else though. i think it's like a jace doesn't know it's an jace what was it? I think it was like an ascension or something. It was something I was forced into spell piercing. I think you said it was something that would have like re- it was like a third spell of the turn, which was a phase. Oh, thing. that's right. And you it knew was, he it, had at least one phoenix to to bin. Yeah, he knew he had a phoenix off the discard. That's right. Thank you. He had like he like metamorphosed into um um faithless. So I knew he had like if he didn't have a second faithless that turn, he wasn't getting phoenixes. I didn't again have removal really to deal with you know reoccurring phoenixes so i was like well i have to spell pierce this and so uh the next turn came back to me and i now no longer have an answer to his blood moon that he has the option of casting the next turn and so my options are like jace the mind sculptor geist of saint draft liliana or um uh what was my last one it's like Bob Geist. It was Bob. I think it was Bob Geist, and then the two walkers. And I had to like decide what to do. Um, and I like kind of thought about his hand, and I basically just jammed the Geist and 
held up blue to represent second spell pierce. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe he won't just jam this blood moon. And so he like tanks a really long time and he's like, hmm, does he have another spell pierce? I did not. <laughs> so he just jams the blood moon. And so we end up in a situation where I get to smack him with the Geist, and then he has uh, a turn where I uh, he plays a Phoenix, he hardcasts a Phoenix, and then I have uh, uh, I've drawn a Swamp for the turn. Finally, have a non-red mana source, and I have a, a Fatal Push in my hand, and I have a Nihil Spell Bomb in play that I can crack and activate. And so um, I decide to. Um, crack my um my nihil spell bomb to basically test the waters on whether he has a snapcaster mage or not because i don't want him to block my geist if i attack in and i figure well if i crack this he's probably gonna like want to get value out of his yard because it's such a tight game he's not gonna be able to like just let a card go so i do it and he you know flashes and snap with um with the trigger on the stack and just bolts me in the face and this is where I messed up, because Chris points out I could have played the Swamp first and then had kill Arclight in response to the uh, the Spellbomb after yeah. you know, he snaps. He snaps. So you could have Spellbombed him, gotten, and then when yeah. he snaps, um, Fatal the Push the Arclight Phoenix, yeah. and then it and would have been be exiled with, along with the rest of his yard. And then we would have had a, a Snapcaster staring at a Geist of St. Traft. Instead, I just didn't kill it, played my swamp, and just held up Fatal Push forever. And he ended up just holding Arclight back every turn while bashing in a snap. Um, my, I was hoping to get him to a point where he would, you know, attack with, with the, the Arclight and hold the snap back, and then I could Fatal Push it and kill him. Um, but he correctly deduced that Arclight was the safer blocker, and I, I ended up having to... I think I blocked the snapcaster and then pushed the arc light no then... so you got off the table because you you drew a damping sphere later in the game and oh, he, that's right which would seemed incredibly irrelevant at that point in the game but he decided to abrade it anyway because his abrade wasn't doing anything else which mm -hmm. then gave you an opportunity to um to fail push the phoenix sphere. yeah but then he had snap uh bolt snap bolt again so i died to that so yeah that was a really close one um and I think it was the same situation as that guy you played against way back in the PPTQ, uh, the blue black shadow player. <laughs> didn't take the blood moon and lost to blood moon. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, I, I literally can't beat this card, but I'm not going to thought seize it because I'm a genius. Um, like my deck actually has like a, a fair amount of removal in it for thing in the ice, like two pushes. Uh, this is post board. So two pushes, four paths, two Liliana's like, pretty relevant ways to get thing in the ice off the board and instead i just decided to you know be like leave myself potentially dead to blood moon which is exactly what happened i think i would have crushed him that game with the liliana and the jace in my hand had i just been able to like play cards every turn instead of having like all this unused mana because of blood moon um so that was frustrating i think that was like a pretty clear mistake that contributed to me losing uh and then i played against the very very unlucky blue white player in the last round and i beat him because he was very unlucky uh the game where he was mana screwed he still almost managed to beat me but i managed to eke it out by racing with geist and a vendillion click and the last game he mulled down to like 
four and kept a one lander, but the one lander was Gavany Township and just like didn't find another colored source until he found a like uh reveal land, a uh the one where you had to reveal a basic. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he found one of those like turned six or something. It was it was bad. I was trying to kill him as quick as possible because I felt bad. It was just, like dump a bunch of two twos on the board and just like ate you every turn. <laughs> so that was a bummer for him and then we played another one for fun and he destroyed me <laughs> i was like i was like you know you're definitely a favorite let's play another for fun like i'm sure you'll beat me and you'll feel better and like sure enough he just like rolled me <laughs> so i think he felt a little better after that at least um but uh the deck is sweet um uh, bob but, but john which is yeah. the better esper deck the the control deck obviously <laughs> which is Most obviously. the sweeter esper deck Oh, the mid-range deck takes the cake, like, just, just easily takes the cake. Oh, it's sweet, man. Playing, playing, this is, like, all the things I like to do in Magic. Like, I used to play a lot of Death and Taxes and Legacy and Modern, and this deck is just a bunch of, like, hate bears. Not even, like, hate bears, I guess, but just, like, bears. Bob and Meddling Mage and Geist are, like, the sweetest bears ever. <laughs> and then you get to play, like, Discard, which I like, and, like, sweet really powerful planeswalkers and counter magic and yeah so this deck looks like a pile of of cards john likes and a pile of colors john also likes yeah and some crazy guy played this at the pt and uh valentine mackle he's got i checked him out he's got like some some good performances to his name he's like played a bunch of gps and done respectively uh clearly a better player than me so i was like well clearly this guy knows what's up and he played this sweet pile so i'm sure it's good enough for fnm um <laughs> and it kind of was i guess I yeah know. i mean i i could have i think i could have e- just as easily gone 4-0 or 3-1 as i went 2-2 i mean they were the two losses were extremely close so it's really hard to say um i made a mistake in one game that you know wasn't even the deck's fault it was just me making a bad evaluation and then the grixis matchup felt quite bad um i'm sure i made mistakes there too though the deck's kind of different like um sideboarding wise knowing like when you want to cut your bears um i think if i had more of a background in playing like actual jund this deck would have been easier to play i feel like someone who plays jund and also plays blue decks would do really well with this deck um but coming from a grixis shadow kind of background as far as like my mid-range like my black mid-range experience um this deck actually felt like harder to figure out just because like Bob changes the texture of things a lot. Um, I haven't played a lot with Bob actually in the past. And it's like knowing whether you value Bob or meddling mage more, or if you like sniff, a re- you know, you're sniffing a removal spell, like how do you want to bait the removal? And does the Bob meddling mage, it's like, it seemed very frequent that I had a Bob and a meddling mage and deciding how to sequence properly was really interesting. Um, and like you're really tight on mana like your your cards are pretty good at what they do but also like you have to like really try to dovetail everything as like efficiently as possible each turn and so i had some some speed bumps with that just kind of getting it all to like you know kind of puzzled out how to piece it together correctly was a little difficult sometimes Um, but man i think i'm gonna run this deck back again this deck was super fun (laughs) oh man i really enjoyed it it's just like it hits all the right spots for me uh when it comes to playing magic uh i feel like you have a lot of agency and just like really powerful cards so i enjoyed it quite a bit i will be playing more of it and chris will mock me i'm sure your opponents will enjoy you playing the deck as well 
Oh, rude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people were very confused by it, that's for sure. They would like see me play a meddling mage, and then they'd be like, look at my mana again, and be like, what? This is a weird humans deck. And then and then like you play like a bob or whatever, and they're like, still a human, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Geist. Like so they look at Geist and like, I haven't seen like, this deck before. Yeah, and they're like, wait, that's not a human, that's a spirit. <laughs> But it like looks like a guy, right? So like my my opponent was like that. It's another human. And, like they kind of like looked at the card. And they're like, wait, no, it's not a human. That's a spirit. And they like really kind of had like a like a head scratch. Like what what the hell is this guy playing? <laughs> so um, I do I do enjoy that a little bit more than I should. I think uh, the the head scratcher deck. <laughs> but God, now how spellbomb was terrible. Those are like easy two cuts. I don't know what I want to put in their spot, but man, my house spellbomb. Did not enjoy it. Liked it much better in Esper Control than Esper Midrange. Well, it's what you play these, you know, Pro Tour sculpted decks in your local FNM. Yeah. Our FNM is not nearly as um, overflowing with graveyard decks as the rest of the metagame is. Yeah, and I, uh, I kind of knew that going in, but I just didn't really want to, like, tamper with it too much before I played it, you know? I uh, made very small tweaks on the sideboard. I had to kind of guess, because the sideboard was just seven one-ofs, one of which was the uh, the last Path to Exile. So I was like, well, there's only one of those. Like, that's easy. So I have, you know, 14, 14 slots left with seven or six listed cards. Like, eh. So I had to kind of, like, figure out what to put where. Um, I couldn't find my third Rest in Peace, and we are, as uh, we mentioned just now, short on graveyard deck so i played engineered explosives in its place was that was my only actual addition to the deck my only real like card change that i made uh so i played 70 however many cards i don't know how you would describe that since the sideboard wasn't public but i played very close to valentine's list um deck seems sweet though definitely gonna run it back again until i get uh pulled tempted by some other pile which will probably be not not very long <laughs> soon soon very soon so many piles to play so little time uh and speaking of little time do you want to talk about the mythic champs themselves i was gonna say like speaking of um deckless the decklists were public at this mythic championship yeah anyone can just see anyone else's decklist i don't know if you bought it like occasion around with you and hands it to your opponent before the matches i'm not exactly sure how it all worked out but yeah. um how do you feel about um the decklist being public in such a large, uh, like high level event. Yeah, you know it's interesting. Um, my first thought was it was weird, and I didn't like it very much, um, because I think that that hidden information is like kind of a big part of Magic, right? Like it's a game of of secrets, you know, hidden hand. You don't know what's in your opponent's deck. Like I kind of like that aspect of the game, but I also recognize that like at the very top tables, you know, the top whatever top eight of an event or you know such and such the elimination rounds that deck lists help reduce variance which is kind of a good uh goal to have for high level magic you don't want um you don't want things being decided by variance you want things being decided by skill and providing deck lists definitely helps with that um and i saw some people online that are you know high level players not, I don't think this is a community consensus by any means, but just kind of my my uh, estimation of the, the the water, the temperature of the water, so to speak. A lot of people seemed really positive about it. Like, they were uh, pretty okay with it. They liked the idea. They wanted to see more of it. I'm not sure if I'm convinced yet. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to kind of feel, decide how I feel about this. How about you? So, 
Uh, I'm not exactly sure how seeing everyone's checklist reduces variance in the game, but what what I think they're trying to do is, I think it's I I think they have everyone's checklist public for the same reason why they have public deathlicks in top eight. What tends to happen is these events is people who are on teams, or know a lot of other people, they can have people go out and scout other players and other top, you know, teams or tables for them, and kind of report back to them and give them a little bit more information about who's playing what or what the field looks like compared to mm. people like us who don't really have that kind of um, base to work to work yeah. with, and so it kind of levels the playing field on the information front. Of you know, there's no you know, because this guy's on CFB, he has a whole, you know, companies with the guys going out there and checking out what's going on and telling them, hey, yeah. you know, John's playing Esper Garbage. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, in that sense, I, I think it's kind of good that they're public. On the other hand, I do really enjoy the um, the part of the game about, you know, having your secret spice. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, here on uh, MTG Spicecast, <laughs> we really enjoy the the spicy meatballs. And so, when your spicy meatball is known to all, it's usually a lot less spicy. Yeah. And so, I guess I'll expand on what I meant about reducing variance. Um, you know, I've talked about what well, before about I think the issue that control decks have in modern is that they control the wrong half of the deck, right? Um, and I think that holds true not just for control, but for a lot of decks that are seeking to interact with their opponent. And when you have um, a deck list in front of you, you can make much more informed mulligan decisions, which in a way reduces, in air quotes, variance. Right? You're not gonna you're not gonna keep that hand that's complete trash against the combo deck. You're gonna mold to find your thoughts these or whatever. Um, so I think it helps in that aspect um, for like fair decks that are trying to interact against spell decks and creature decks. Yeah, I guess so. Um... Yeah. I mean, you can obviously still just draw bad cards off the top, but your your opening hand does matter a lot, especially with the uh, the one in Mulligan at this event, where they got to you know much more selectively uh, throw back cards and you know get a whole new seven to to choose from uh, what to keep. Um, I feel like your ability to keep a uh, an opening hand that actually has relevant interaction and a game plan against your opponent's deck was like extremely high in this event compared to just like a normal PT or GP where you're just operating completely blind, like. Do you really dare mold down, you know, mold down to a low number, uh, in you know, in the complete blind against an unknown deck, versus if you know that your opponent is like not going to kill you on you know turn three or four or whatever, and you can actually like try to mold for maybe a hand that's got like some more lands rather than like land plus one mana interaction. Although I guess the opposite was probably the case at this uh this event since everyone was playing uh <laughs> shit like Tron and. And uh, Eldrazi that demands like uh, speedy interaction. So let's talk about the the Mulligan for a second. Do you think the Mulligan rule is a large portion of why such a large percentage of the field was playing Tron? I think it's a big part of it. Um, I think it's I think it's actually a twofold decision. Um, I think it's partially that people uh, thought they you know they perceived that Tron would be much easier to assemble, which I think is true, right? I think that's. I think the numbers have kind of held true that like Tron is definitely more, even more consistent than it already is. Like Tron's quite consistent at doing the thing on three, but with the one in Mulligan, it's extremely consistent. Um, but I think the other uh, half of that is the 
the perceived like mo maybe not best but like most popular top deck is 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 it phoenix and tron can be quite powerful against is it phoenix um if they're on the thing on the ice plan um you know a karn is quite good and if they are on the phoenix plan the deck plays stuff like main deck opportunitas um and i think i think tron is generally favored against phoenix from, from what i understand um I think that is the uh, the vibe that I've gotten from people. Have you heard anything conflicting that? Yeah, I think they that that I've heard that Tron is generally the favored favored deck in that matchup. So I think that that's probably part of it. Just being like, uh, you know, a proactive, very powerful deck that gets a boost from the mulligan. Um, that's you know uh, positioned well against the decks that they thought other people might be playing. I think probably is a big part of why everyone was you know everyone was on tron so to speak and there was a, there was a lot of tron and it, it seemed to do quite well at the uh, at the tournament um my understanding was this day two conversion rate wasn't that great but that's also maybe due to the fact that it was such a large portion of the field yeah it was looks like it was the most played deck at uh 14.6 percent and it had a day two conversion rate of 12.8 percent um yeah, so lost a little bit of ground going into day two yeah um not as bad as esper control which did not do well making up 3.1 percent of the field on day one and 1.6 on day two um i think also i think that was the second worst conversion rate so yeah interesting that hardened scales and war prison apparently had the best conversion rates both gaining percentage in the second day um by uh, a pretty sizable portion um despite being some of the lesser played decks yeah i don't think um any war prison snuck into the the top top ranks no and uh the 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 most played decks also were the uh most represented in top eight tron Phoenix, humans, and blue white control being the foremost played decks. And we look at the uh the top eight, and we've got uh three humans decks, uh two Tron decks, um a Phoenix deck, and then uh two outliers and uh affinity and uh Titan Shift. And I think there should have been a third Tron deck uh, in the top eight, but we'll touch on that in a little bit, I guess. <laughs> Um, some events conspired to uh, to uh, change the texture of the top eight a little bit, but I'm not sure who in the top eight actually was originally going to be uh, the ninth place player. I'm not I'm not sure who that was, but um, yeah. So, but first, let's talk about a little bit about the um, the Neoform deck, John. Okay, you want to get into that right now? So, <laughs> you got to play against it in in paper. Yep, uh, I didn't get to really see the deck do its thing, um, but I did, you know, sit across from it for two games. <laughs> um, it is definitely scary to sit across the table from. Um, my experience, so to speak, with the deck definitely comes more from watching some streams uh, the last uh, week or two, though. So I've, I've only played against the deck once online, which supposedly it's running rampant online, especially during the time where the London Mulligan was active online. Mm-hmm. But um, I think when I played it, the London Mulligan had already gone away, which is why I was a little surprised to see it. Mm -hmm. But what a doozy of a match. So 
I was playing Amulet, which has you know no interaction at all, especially game one, and <laughs> he just does the thing on turn two. Like, I didn't quite realize what was going on. He just played turn one breeding pool pass. So I was like, okay, maybe this is like <laughs> it's a, like benign a slow spirit draw or reclamation deck. I don't know. And then the second turn, he plays second breeding pool into Allosaurus Rider into make a Grizzlebrand, and I was like, I see. <laughs> Yeah, should we explain the deck real quick, I guess, before we move on? Just in case anyone listening hasn't hasn't actually hasn't seen the deck. Sure, 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 sure. 10,000-foot 10, overview. Um, you've already summed up a, a decent part of it. So the whole Allosaurus Rider turning into a Grizzlebrand thing was kind of semi-old technology. You could do it with Eldritch Evolution. Um, Allosaurus Rider is a seven-mana elf creature that's riding a dinosaur. Yep. And Elf Warrior. <laughs> it comes from the Cold Snap, Snap series of instead of paying its mana cost, you can remove two cards of the same color as the card to cast it. So the blue one being Commandeer, which is a little bit more well known, probably the most well known. Um the red one. Sunscour and EDH. <laughs> um Fury of the Horde, perhaps. Yeah. But the green one is Alice Force Rider, so you can remove any two green cards from your hand from the game. And you can cast yourself an Allosaurus Rider. I believe Allosaurus Rider says it's power and is equal to 1 plus the number of lands you have, or just equal to the number of lands you had. Yeah, it's 1 plus for power and toughness. Yeah, doesn't really matter what it says. All that matters is that you can put it into play for 0 mana, and it has a CMC of 7. This is important because Elders Evolution lets you go into a creature with the mana of whatever you sacked plus 2. However, Recently printed in the newest set, they printed the card Neoform. The Neoform does basically the same thing as Eldritch Evolution, with the exception of it must be a CMC equal to what you sacked plus one, whereas Eldritch Evolution says it's whatever you sacked plus two or less is what yeah. you, can, you can get. And Neoform says the creature that comes into play gets comes into play with a plus one plus one counter on it. Whoa. And doesn't exile itself for whatever that's worth. Yeah. Whereas Evolution does. In any case... I would say, I think the big thing here is that, you know, combo decks, 8 is usually the magic number, right, of each piece. And th these were, you know, uh, this completed the 8, the 8, air quote, yeah, uh, the second, search The second playset of uh, the, the searchy tutory thing. The way to get your your boy, Grizzledad, into play. So what's... what? How how do we get the the magic eight number for Allosaurus Rider though? There's no there's no alternative to the uh, the Alpha Warrior riding a dinosaur. Summer's Pact is actually insane in this deck um, for a few reasons. One, you get to find your Allosaurus Rider, as mentioned by John, and this deck has the potential to kill your opponent on turn one because of the card Chancellor of the Tangle, uh, a little bit lesser known Chancellor. But this guy says if you begin the game with it in your hand, you may reveal it. If you do, you add a green mana to your mana pool at the beginning of your first main phase. Gross. Which is convenient because Neoform costs one green mana and one blue. It's also convenient because it's a green card, which you can exile to cast an Allosaurus Rider. Yeah, you gotta have really high green count in this deck to uh, keep keep the gears lubricated for allosaurus rider 
and you're uh you're already playing uh some some you're locked in on some non-green cards like Gristlebrand and Simeon's Spirit Guide and uh the Wincon. Yeah, and most of cantrips you might be playing are usually not green either. Yeah. Um the list that uh five owed does not look I wonder if it's like an earlier list that I'm looking at here. Because they're uh, they're not playing the full four Manamorphos. They're only playing two, which surprises me. And they're um, they're playing lab. I guess they're all playing lab maniac as a win con. I don't know. I haven't studied the list that carefully. Mm. But um, usually, when you get a Grizzlebrand to play, you can find a way to win. Lightning Storm or uh, Lab Man being the the popular ones. Yeah. So very similar. To, it's it's kind of funny. It, it it turns into more of an ad nauseum deck than a Grizzlebrand Grizzlebrand deck. So instead mm. of trying to get Borbrigmos into play to throw lands at him, you just use Lightning Storm or or Labman like ad nauseum decks do. Um, I have a funny story about this deck though. When I got to play against it, um, game one, he does the thing. Uh, draws literally every single card in his deck. Lightning Storms me, discards a bunch of lands. I'm just f 6 because what can I do about it? I just let him have his fun. And then when the dust settled, I was still alive. <laughs> this was very puzzling to me. I was at one life. It appears my opponent had been practicing and knew you had to sacrifice, or not sacrifice, discard 9 lands to make 18 charge counters. Or no, to make 9 charge counters, which would be plus 18 damage, plus the 3s, which would do 21 damage, which would be lethal for most decks, except for the fact that I had played a Kibera Crossroads. <laughs> so I went up to 22. They have more lands, or do, and they just like phoned it in, or they just didn't have enough? They definitely had more lands. Wow. The deck plays like 15 lands, I believe, so he only discarded 9, only had 2 in play. He had huh. more lands to pitch, he just didn't think he needed to, forgot I had to gain some life, and lost because of it. He had no more um, cards in his deck, and no way to put a lab man into play at that point. <laughs> so that was a bit embarrassing for my opponent. Um, so I just took the gift as <laughs> good job me. Well <laughs> good played. Job, played the right land to gain some life. Got him. Wow. And then in game two, he does the thing on turn two again. Except this time, I think he goes for the Lightning Storm kill when he has, like, I don't know, maybe five cards left in his deck or something. Mm -hmm. And my opponent got to learn some interactions. <laughs> so he Lightning Storms me, he discards nine lands, and I'm only at 20 life, so this time it would have been lethal. However, the effect of Lightning Storm, the ability is able to be activated by any player. So I discarded land to redirect the from back at him. And in his um, zealousness, I guess, he immediately discarded a land to try and redirect it back to me while my trigger was on the stack. <laughs> this meant that his resolved, and then mine resolved, so he didn't actually redirect it at all. I had the last say. So he put a charge counter on for no appreciable gain. Um, upon realizing this, he then discarded another land to try and redirect it back to me, which I answered with another land. <laughs> and it was at this point, he tanked for a little while, and then conceded because he had no more lands left in his 
hand. <laughs> yeah, everyone has a lot of lands. Yeah, so it turns so, out um, three lands is sometimes good enough. Yeah, I mean, that's typically good enough for Amulet, as far as I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> what more do you need, right? A yeah. Six mana? That's a, that's a Titan. I mean, Vesuva, that's, that's a win con right there. <laughs> oh. Yeah, anyway, Dex seems, seems super gross when it does the thing. Yeah. Um, but it does seem a little, a little fragile still. It's quite redundant at this point. It's really interesting. They've got, you know, eight eight free uh, mana sources with uh, Chancellor and Spirit Guide. They've got eight copies of Allosaurus Rider with Allosaurus Rider and Pact. And then they've got eight copies of the Search Effect. So it's uh, it hits the all the all the numbers. Um, but um, I don't think it's very resilient to mulliganing under the normal mulligan rules. Um, taking blind blind hands is pretty brutal. It's also very weak to Thoughtseize effects. Not yeah. that I play any of those, but... Yeah, getting, uh, getting your uh, Neoform taken is pretty brutal uh, for this deck if it, uh, if it doesn't get to do the thing on turn one. This feels like a turn two deck a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. It seems like a fairly consistent turn two deck. Um, but it's still a turn one's probably more often than you would like. Yeah. Yeah, it gets uh it gets destroyed by one mana counter spells and discard. Um, I think those are the, probably the most common ways of interacting. Although, could you imagine sitting there on the play with your spell snare? All right, play your island, you pass. He has a chance to reveal, makes a green, plays a blue land. Like, yeah, makes an Allosaurus Strider, and then he. Exiles a spirit guide and Eldritch Evolutions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Maybe you'll get lucky and he'll have to metamorphose into uh into blue mana to lab man you for some reason. <laughs> uh yeah, gross. Probably probably not gonna have to. He's still got three spirit guides left to lightning storm you. Blah. And probably uh. at least one pact of negation in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm not sure. The list I'm looking at doesn't have it, but I think that's probably like a card they could get away with playing at least one of. It's probably the sideboard for sure. Yeah. Yeah, three Pact of Negation in this one's sideboard. Gross. <laughs> yeah, you can stuff the sideboard of all sorts of interesting uh, options. Yeah, so we were talking about like Celestial Storm previously as like one of the best defensive counter spells. Mm-hmm. Um, Pact of Negation, one of the better offensive counter spells. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is definitely very true. Especially for these decks that are just doing the thing on turn one or two. You're just not going to have enough mana to fight back in a format without Force of Will. Yeah, you don't have to pay your debts if no one's around to collect them. <laughs> Alright, so that's, uh, that's the Neoform deck uh, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes. Um, I guess we'll... So, I guess like going back to the um, its consistency with the London Mulligan... Did you get a chance to ever play with the Leonard Mulligan? I know it was on MTGO for a little while. They were testing it. Yeah, I got to play Swans with it a little bit. <laughs> um, which is not exactly the test case that's the most relevant for it, I guess. But uh, I appreciated it. It was nice. Uh, it was nice to be able to, to mull and, and still have good hand composition with a deck that can be a little picky sometimes on 
on lands versus not lands. Um, the deck can be kind of fragile in the early turns uh, for, a, for a control deck. And, uh, and yeah, it was nice. It definitely felt good. Um, I didn't feel like my opponents were like doing anything too crazy with it either. This was before Neoform kind of was like everywhere. Um, I didn't really play... I didn't play with the one in Mulligan at all once Neoform was out until after they changed back to the Vancouver Mulligan. Um, I did play against it once of Swans, and I did actually get to spell snare the Neoform, though, so that was... Feels good. It's good times. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't really get to play with it very much. I did watch people play with it, you know, some of these streams and stuff, uh, mostly with the Neoform deck, and it just seemed, like, really powerful to, like, just toss the cards back and have a, have another spin, another go at things. Um, but I think you probably got a little bit more experience of it than I did. Yeah, so I got to play with it a little bit, uh, on Amulet, and I would say that Amulet probably benefits from it much more so than Swans. Yeah, definitely. Although maybe with Swans you get to fix your hideously bad mana. But I did notice that when I was playing while the um, London Mulligan was active, my opponents would Mulligan a lot more frequently than normal. Oh yeah, I did notice that. Um, ex And especially like the Tron players. Oh man, the Tron players. They love going down to like four or three cards looking for their, their Tron. And the problem is that they would go and find their natural Tron with three cards. But the thing is that my hand was also very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, I would find a good hand off of my six or my five, and they'd be down to, like, three or four, and I would just shit stomp them. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you impressive. have natural Tron, but did you find a Karn off the top? No, just a shitty Wormcoil engine? You, sir, are very dead. Even Wormcoil is a pretty <clears throat> lucky draw, I feel like, at that point. Yeah, or like maybe they have an Ugin, right? Oh, one more turn. Oh, look, a Titan got a Ghost Quarter. Rot row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, but I think just in general, my opponents were uh, mulliganing far more frequently than, than typical. Yeah, that's probably a function of it being a new change too, right? Like, I think people are going to make more poor decisions on, on average when just being introduced to a rules change than they would after a playing with it for a while or b seeing pro players play with it correctly i mean for my deck it felt very nice to be able to have the london mulligan you know because yeah. drawing your combo lands is really bad so if you mulligan you have like your boros garrison or your sun home in your hand you just get to go ahead and stick that one on the bottom yeah forget about that one for a little while um, also, cards like Redundant Azusas are pretty terrible. Yeah, definitely. Right, so I, I think I have a lot of air that I get to kind of filter out um, when I'm mulliganing, which is quite nice. I was listening to a, a, a Legacy podcast today, and they were talking about all the decks in Legacy that really uh, uh, were advantaged by the Wooded Mulligan, because they're decks that are trying to search things out. And there's a lot of them in Legacy. There's probably still a decent amount in Modern, but they were like, Elves, you don't want to have Crater Hoof Behemoth in your hand. You want that in the deck. Um, Stoneforge Mystic decks, you don't want Batter Skull in your hand. You want it in the deck. Um, and they're just kind of like rattling off all these different, you know, decks with like search effects. And it was like, yeah, okay. Like, I could see a lot of these decks yeah, and really, because you, you never have it in your opener unless you keep 
an insane seven and you know it like you know it's in the hand when you keep the seven you know what i mean yeah and it's not only just it doesn't get you shoveled back in it gets put on the bottom yeah like that's ideal yeah ideal. as far away of as possible yeah like if elves could decide what where the where the crater hoof is i guarantee that they would want it to be on the bottom of the deck like 90 90 like more than 90 percent of the time so. yeah one should always be on the bottom of your deck yeah. so that's just man that just sounds great and um people were really worried about the effects of the mulligan on modern uh, i'm sorry mo- not more modern uh but more so in legacy and vintage and um their raven university which is like a website uh dedicated to legacy death and taxes um posted a little like um not quite an op-ed but kind of like a, um, a collective article um where they got runs the site interviewed a bunch of like prominent uh, players in the legacy community and just ask them you know what they thought about the london mulligan after grinding uh with it for a while and i was expecting going into the article a lot of negativity because that was the initial reaction from a lot of people it was like really chicken little right like sky is falling this is going to ruin uh what's been um by most people's accounts a pretty good uh legacy meta right now and um just most people thought it was great like just really positive feedback from um people on a lot of them on fair decks too um there's some people in on this list that are known for playing uh storm and uh gristlebrand decks and they were um pretty happy with it as a whole but um, a lot of people that are playing like delver uh miracles um you know more fair decks uh were actually still pretty big fans of it um so that was kind of a surprise there um were a few uh standouts though um one of which was a a player who posted about 125 uh matches of uh uh, of legacy games they played before and after uh the rule and man the shift in archetype scene is pretty absurd right yeah people definitely trying to take advantage of the a 633 percent increase in black red reanimator 500 percent increase in omnitel um 300 increase in dredge and mono red prison uh and then just no one played one person playing lands at it from seven before and these are these are you know small sample size all things considered but like from 11 grixis player uh, grixis delver players to two um that is a deck that you know usually sees a lot of play 18 blue red delver down to six miracles from 19 down to eight like these are pretty notable drops i mean they've all, you know yeah pretty significant more than halved and or halved in miracles and blue ray delver's case and grixis just evaporated apparently um so i don't know how much that is in the, you know effect directly of the mulgan uh, or people just wanting to test and feeling like you know the natural inclination is oh this must be better because the the feedback i heard from other people was basically that there was just a completely warped meta right away when everyone rushed to test the, you know the combo decks but by the end of the test period, the meta had once again stabilized into a very similar place that it was before. Uh, mostly because um, the combo deck's getting a huge game one boost, but the other deck's getting uh, a comparable boost in the post board games. Um, and the feedback a lot of people had was that the um, the blue decks, um, you know, have always had cantrips to fix their uh, their bad draws. And the non-blue decks have kind of lacked for a way to to do that. 
and the wanted mulligan really provides for a way for these non-blue decks to actually fix their bad draws which is interesting so going to five or six is not nearly as as big of a deal as it used to be because you can yeah it's uh, far less punishing yeah you can ensure that you'll actually have a mix of lands and spells and actually get to play a game which is crucial in a, in a curve out format like legacy where you really want to be using all of your mana every turn um for the like you know first couple turns of the game otherwise you will lose very badly so um and i haven't really heard much feedback from vintage except for uh cyrus corman gill legacy and vintage storm aficionado saying he thinks it's terrible so <laughs> uh he is a very opinionated person though so um he's usually correct however in my experience so take that with a grain of salt opinionated guy who is often correct does not like it <laughs> so i don't know how do you feel about uh, different rules and different formats for the mulliganing um i think it's probably fine i, I think it'd be easier if it were perhaps like limited versus constructed um mm -hmm. it might be a little confusing if like say standard had the rule but modern didn't for for a newer player trying to switch into different formats might be mm -hmm. a little bit more confusing for those people a counter argument i've heard um to that argument is that um modern has ley lines and standard doesn't so like we've already got like game there's a lot of game mechanics and, and things that happen in modern already that don't happen in standard which i thought was an interesting counter argument i'm not sure i entirely agree but yeah but at the same time how does i don't even know how, how it exactly works i have a guess how does serum powder work with the london mulligan it's complicated, but there's a flowchart somewhere you could look at. <laughs> I saw it. If I had to guess, if you mulligan, if you have, if you mulligan to six with London Mulligan, but you have a serum powder, my guess is that you would exile all seven and draw seven and then pick one to go to the bottom if you decided to keep it. I believe that's how it works. I think you loop powders inside of whatever mulligan you're currently in. Yeah, because the powder states, if at the time in which you would decide to mulligan because you don't get rid of the card until you've decided to keep so you have not actually reached the the decision point of of keep mulligan while you still have seven cards in your hand so at the, at the point in which you decide to mulligan you still have the seven cards in your hand because you don't put one on the bottom and then shuffle it back to redraw another seven that that doesn't make any sense so you would st still just bin all, all all seven and then draw an additional seven of which you would keep six because it's still technically your first mold. So I guess there's your answer. It is confusing. <laughs> oh my god. Someone in here is suggesting you should just do mulligans the same way you uh, resolve factor fiction, which sounds like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> With both players taking turns picking piles for one another. <laughs> Oh, uh, holy shit. That would be amazing. What, you always draw seven, but you reveal it and your opponent gets to pick a pile? Well, I guess you would make the piles. Well, how does... Your opponent makes piles and you what pick is, it. And then right? you pick what? Yeah. <laughs> we, should, uh, we should test that. That sounds amazing. Uh... <laughs> After a mulligan, you just always get seven, but then your opponent factor fictions your hand. It's actually like super punishing because then you one yeah. and you go to four cards. Yeah, yeah. Which are like not even that good. Also, they know your hand. <laughs> Holy crap. That sounds awful. disastrous. <laughs> Completely disastrous. But amusing. 
was like saying, anyways, you should just factor fiction any hand you keep. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be much more fair. Oh man, and combo decks get significantly worse. But yeah, that's, I'm okay with that. Uh, that's that's a price that I'm willing to pay. What's the Shrek quote? Some of you may die. <laughs> that is a price that I'm willing to pay. That's a risk that I'm willing to take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel about that. Uh, combo players uh, angrily typing on their keyboards right now. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Let it mulligan seems seems fine overall. I I, I like the fact that it it um, limits the amount of non games, which I think is one of Magic's biggest issues. Um, it's always been the fact that, you know, Mana Screw and Mana Flood suck. Um, it's necessary for the game to be what it is, but I think minimizing it as much as possible is, is probably best for the game. I mean, there's no way to eliminate all the variants, right? I mean, you could you can London Mold to the perfect hand and then just draw seven consecutive lands and lose. Exactly, yeah. But, but uh, I, I, I do think that it does eliminate the games where you just do nothing. You just yeah no agency right yeah you just drew a bad hand and you didn't want to go down lower on cards and you just drew poorly and you you just lost it it definitely feels really bad to to miss out on a top eight or something because you you're winning and you just got terrible hands and bulging in the floor and just couldn't um, play magic i think anything that in, improves player agency not only makes people feel better about it because they felt like they had a decision which is a I think psychologically, I think the research shows just makes people feel better. Like a choice, even if it's the illusion of a choice, just makes people happier. <laughs> yeah, so and even makes, if the choices are wrong. Yeah, exactly. But the, at the same time, anytime you get more choices, not only does it make people feel better, it also actually improves the uh, the skill cap of the game. Right? It raises the skill cap because every time you have to make a choice, there's a right choice and a wrong choice. Yeah. And the more of those that you have, the harder the game gets, which makes the game. Um, fun for people that enjoy uh complexity and decision making which is generally the same type of person that enjoys playing magic so um while i have some misgivings about the potential of, of combo and and uh and uh the issues london morgan could provide with that um seeing how a lot of legacy players have kind of reacted to it especially since i think legacy is a format that um potentially has a lot to lose maybe even the most to lose from the one in mulligan um being an issue for combo i think vintage isn't wildly played enough and modern is very highly curated um and has just a lower power cap that that legacy was the potential problem child for the london mulligan since people think it's not really a huge issue and i think it has huge advantages for people's enjoyment of the game in limited standard and even even modern and maybe even legacy it seems like i think it's um i think it's won me over i think i'm on team london mulligan at this point um i think increasing player agency is always a good thing so um hopefully it doesn't break anything in half and if it does i guess we'll just ban some stuff <laughs> or if it gets really bad you can always just go back i guess yeah shit go back <laughs> is this an upgrade um we've got a lot of change coming in the format too with um modern horizons uh coming out on the horizon on the horizon yes it's growing much closer now growing larger every day maybe some more spoilers coming i think in a couple weeks two weeks three weeks uh tell spoiler season starts again yeah i mean for all we know they could have like ley line effects in modern horizons which would also blow the 
the Leyland Mulligan open again. Yeah. Because cards like Leylands get much more powerful. Yeah. So pregame effects are much better. But for yeah. now, the London Mulligan will not be returning, so far as we know. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's enough on that for now. Um, I guess we kind of danced around this earlier, but I guess now is as good a time to address it as any. Um, there was a uh, unfortunate event, a little bit disappointing event that occurred at, uh, just before the top eight at the Mythic Champs. Um, Yuya Watanabe was disqualified for having marked cards. Um, and there's there was a large... Um, I want to say outcry but a lot of people wanted to get some more information about what exactly had transpired and i that information has kind of come out now and i think the evidence is pretty damning yeah i don't think there's much of an argument to be made in yuya's favor um which unfortunately casts a very long shadow over uh a long and successful career and also a hall of fame career so I know there are a lot of people that looked up to him as a player who are very disappointed now, and that's um, kind of a bummer. But uh, sad, really. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Were you were you a fan? I always kind of liked him. I rooted for him sometimes when I saw him on stream. Yeah, I liked you. Yeah. Um, I usually would root for for him in his, most of his matches. But the from the pictures, the marks looked very deliberate mm, yeah not accidental and i believe i had heard that he had changed the sleeves late into the tournament yeah which is not normally um hard evidence because it's actually very common right before uh the end of a tournament i think a judge had actually even recommended that he change his sleeves or asked him to change his sleeves prior because they were getting beaten up um yeah so i mean player change sleeves made play through tournament is not anything particularly um out of the ordinary but each of his uh, Tron lands, like all four towers, had the exact same mark on the next safe corner, same for the power plans, same for the mines. And these, these kinds of markings are just... Not, not, yeah, not normal wear and tear. It's just not coincidental. Yeah. And what's even worse, I think, is the fact that it looks like he tried to obfuscate it a little bit. Like, I think one of the types of Tronland didn't have markings, and then, like, three out of four on another type had the markings, but, like, the fourth one didn't, and I'm not sure if that was, like, an attempted obfuscation, or just being in a rush, or or what. But they were not markings entirely explained, explainable away by rough shuffling. Um, you know, maybe one set of markings would be explainable, like, oh, maybe he had his deck set, uh, sorted, and, like, did a really rough first mesh and you know bent the corners on you know all of his towers or whatever but he's got marks that go in opposite directions on different tron lands and i just don't think there's like a reasonable way to even imagine him causing that during during a initial yeah, accidentally mash shuffle. i just don't happening. see a possibility of how this could be done accidentally even when being very generous on you know a probable events i mean i'm being i think i'm being really generous trying to imagine a situation where this could occur and i just don't think this this kind of markings could occur even in the most outlandish of situations i don't think even freak accident can can give you markings that look like this i think it's pretty pretty fair to say that he made a deliberate attempt to uh mark uh the cards in his deck that he benefits the most from marking 
and uh, who knows how long he's been doing this. Um, doing it uh, late in a tournament that's heavily uh, heavily televised, so to speak, is uh, pretty brazen, I think. And with the big cash payout and all. Yeah, it's uh, the kind of the pattern with these type of people seems to be that um, when it comes out, someone's been cheating. Um, they tend to get caught because they cheat somewhere where they're more likely to be caught, and that's usually because they've gotten complacent because they've been cheating a lot for a long time. Um, so I know there are probably a lot of very interested people going over any kind of live coverage footage they can find of Yuya uh, zooming in on his card sleeves uh, right about now. And I haven't heard about anyone else coming up with any uh, any evidence, but I also haven't really been super active on the uh, Magic subreddits and Twitterverse lately, so I could have easily missed it. Um, but it's definitely very disappointing. It'll be interesting to see. If Watsi uh, banishes him straight to the Shadow Realm and revokes his Hall of Fame uh, uh, status or not, I would be pretty shocked if they didn't at this point. But I mean, so I mean, marked cards are a pretty big deal. So our buddy Curtis got game lost for having marked cards. He was borrowing someone else's deck. So he was borrowing an amulet deck. And this deck had maybe, I don't know, six foils in it. And... Some of those foils were a little curled. And so he was DQ'd from a... Well, not DQ'd, but he got a, a game loss because the cards were considered marked because all of the cards that were foil were lands. They weren't the same land. They weren't even all bounce lands. They weren't even all non-bounce lands. But since they were all lands of some kind, they were considered marked. Which is pretty so, good odds in Amulet. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so to have... All four of your specific same land have a sleeve nicked in the same way is just too much. Yeah, and some of the marks were looked like uh, kind of like folded over sleeves, and the other ones looked like nail marks, but they were consistent among the, the type of land. Um, so it was different kinds of damage on on different cards. So yeah. he had very clear patterns. But it was the same kind of damage for each of those cards. Type, yes, exactly. So, they were consistent so, within yeah, the type. So each, like, each tower was, was nicked in the same way. Yeah. It wasn't just like some random damage in the same corner. Yeah, same, same pattern, same corner, very consistent. Yeah, I, um, I've, uh, I have a hard time being super sympathetic about this. I mean, I, I got a game loss for sleeves way back, like several years ago now, um, when I just got back into the game again. Um, I think my deck was sorted when I sleeved up and um, I had uh, imperfections in my sleeves because it was from two different boxes and um, the second box of sleeves was different than the first in a subtle manner and since my deck was sorted when I sleeved up um, before the tournament um, there was a pattern in some sort of way and I uh, ended up getting a game loss and I have ever since then uh, shuffled my deck before sleeving and shuffled my sleeves together which does not take very much time. It's very easy to do, and uh, basically completely rules out any any uh, accidental uh, issues of the sort I had that tournament. And while I know um, pro players in that situation are probably pretty busy and maybe not thinking about that, I think that any player worth their salt who's a pro-level player is probably doing their best to avoid the appearance of potentially having marked cards unless they're doing the opposite and actively trying to mark their cards so <laughs> it's not hard to avoid um 
ending up with uh consistently marked sleeves if you're paying attention so yeah i would imagine they they try pretty hard to avoid accidental cheating unless of course they are intentionally yeah and i was really willing to give as much benefit of the doubt as possible because those sleeves they use on the pt are fucking terrible they're the um the you know the the uh sponsored sleeves the legion uh, legion or whatever sleeves that have you know their company's branding on them they're terrible that's why he was swapping out his sleeves in the first place probably if not just you know to sideboard specifically into his cheaty sleeves maybe that was the case but he was getting told by a judge already to change sleeves apparently um and that is because the sleeves they use are trash so um i feel like if they're already in the habit of re-sleeving at least once in a big event they probably um are having a sorted deck i'm sorry an unsorted deck like if you got asked to re-sleeve in round whatever like in the teens would you sure would you sort your deck before sleeving up yeah no i wouldn't like no way like even if you're counting your deck unless something was missing you wouldn't sort it so i just don't see like any possible argument like his deck would have been sorted to accidentally come up with this kind of where even if you were really pushing yeah the concept still of- <laughs> not buying it and like why would his deck be sorted right like it just doesn't make any sense so yeah just being as generous as i can possibly be but i just don't see any reality in which this was accidental so you know reality is often disappointing <laughs> exactly so um yeah that's i guess all we have to say about that look forward to or not look forward but look to future news to see what uh what comes of it um see what what happens to him i don't think we'll be seeing a lot of him at the top tables anymore though um but who knows people claim to be reformed look at alex bertoncini how long did it take them to sweep him out of the game finally and he was cheating much more consistently and egregiously than this so eh. who knows i definitely think he'll be ostracized though at the very least by uh people who, who don't have tolerance for this kind of thing yeah, I wonder how his image will be in among the uh, the Japanese magic scene. Probably not the best, would be my guess. But uh, who knows? <clears throat> anyway, Anyways. end of disappointment. It's all <laughs> time for hype, 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 hype. Hype, hype. Um, what is going to be your slot of the week? Or deck on deck, as some might like to call it. <laughs> as our... As our timeline our uh, our skeleton for the uh, podcast says deck on deck i'm not sure how well that rolls off the tongue but that's that's what it's called for now uh you can uh, tweet at us if you have a better idea but i'm sure you won't because literally no one has ever tweeted at us so you know ever maybe throw us a bone make our day maybe actually tweet at us sometime be the change you want to see listener <laughs> or if you would uh if not a tweeting kind of person you can go ahead and join our discord um one <laughs> tiny little dollar holla gets you in there and you can yell at us all you like you can tell us our jokes are bad i it's it's fine we understand i think that's me my jokes are bad i mean yes (laughs) (laughs) anyways you can uh you can join us on our patreon for the low low cost of a dollar a month uh should you be so inclined um but that's not the only thing i'm hyped about i'm also hyped about a sweet new addition to the modern format teferi time reveler who i basically always want to call teferi time traveler which i'm sure is not unintentional <laughs> raveler raveler time raveler yeah say time raveler 10 times fast without saying time traveler once by time, accident time 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 it's 
Teferi time raveler. <laughs> two, no three T's in a row, just two. TTR. Yeah, good old TTR. Um, Tata for now. Uh, he looks sweet. Uh, I was supposed to trade for one this weekend, but that didn't end up happening. Uh, the guy I was supposed to trade with fell off the face of the earth, so... Uh, Shocking. No, no Teferi for me. Unfortunate. I was gonna was gonna trade into one, so I have to look elsewhere for my Teferis now. But I'm excited to jam this guy into basically any blue white X deck. He seems sweet. Esper mid range. Esper mid range. Blue white mid range. Esper control. Blue white control. Legacy Stoneforge. Legacy Grixis. Not Grixis. There's no white in Grixis, but there could be if you play Teferi. Teferi Time Raveler. Or uh, perhaps Narset, who uh, was my other option for Soul of the Week. But uh, What? Narset Cannon? Oh, yeah. No, uh, no there's a deck with the London Mulligan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Uh, but uh, three mana Narset, also pretty hot. Uh, so we get some some sweet new three mana walkers that I'm pretty hype about. But uh, You know what I'm hyped about for uh, Teferi Time Revolute? Yeah. If I were to acquire some, I might, just might, want to try and force... The knowledge pool lock. Oh, someone, uh, someone did that at uh, at a large event recently. I saw it got posted on Facebook. Nice. Continue onwards. Oh, I'll yeah, take I, for that. I think it was like a, so like an SCG event of some kind. Maybe like a classic yeah. or a or a qualifier. Yeah, nice. I think I saw. I think I saw some posts on Reddit or something. People are like, oh my god, look at this guy doing so well with blue-white. And then the deck list was, uh, yeah, here we go. Let's see. Uh, ninth place at, at the classic, SCG Classic. Four main deck knowledge pools. Two Teferi Mage of Zolifer. <laughs> and four Teferi Time Raveler. Two Teferi Hero of Dominaria. This this deck has eight Teferis in it. It's tribal Teferis. Tribal Teferis. Just absurd <laughs> yeah this deck's sweet i can't believe he found space for four of a six drop artifact that just seems like asking to just to just lose but for those of you who don't understand what we're talking about um knowledgeable god do i really have to explain what knowledgeable does <laughs> oh yes it's it's mandatory now that you brought it up okay here it is here we go knowledgeable fun memory not reading anything i promised it's a six minute artifact um with imprint when it comes into play you imprint the top three cards of each player's library so you remove them from the game underneath the um, knowledge pool then anytime a player casts a spell they exile instead and they may cast a different spell that is exiled by the knowledge pool without paying its mana cost and then the first the spell that they cast they got exiled is now added to the knowledge pool instead what does this mean? So with Teferi, since your opponent can only cast spells at the time that they could cast a sorcery, that means if they play a spell, the knowledge pool will see them cast a spell, exile it, and then when they go to try and cast a spell at the knowledge pool, they can't because it is not a time at which they could cast a sorcery. <laughs> so anything they try and play just gets added to the knowledge pool and nothing comes back out. Never leaves. Meanwhile, you get to play whatever you want, and that turns into whatever it was in the knowledge pool, because Teferi, after all, doesn't affect you. Yeah. Only your opponents. They've got six of that effect to go with their four knowledge pools. 
which is pretty disgusting. And you can uh, nice and neatly curve out from end of turn five mana to fairy into turn six knowledge pool. <laughs> oh, yes. It's like it's like hefty splinter twin. <laughs> it doesn't win the game immediately, but your opponent can never cast a spell again. Yeah, pretty gross. <laughs> I mean, I guess they can technically cast a spell at first, but they will never resolve a spell again. Yeah. Oof. So that wasn't even your salt of the week, though, Chris. Oh, no. Well, my salt of the week, since Johnny Boy over here, and along with some other people, have been really trying to push this whole pre-modern thing. So, I might end up slapping together a highly proxied um, pre-modern deck because I don't feel like spending money on another format. Like, um, that might end up like Frontier. You know how you know how we feel about Frontier. Well, but well, well. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Goblin Bombardment. <laughs> this card's sweet. Yeah, I think most of our experience with this from Cube, right? Yeah, like the Twisted Color Pie Cube, I believe the mm -hmm. like black, red, or the Mardu um, token decks. Mm, delicious. Just tempt with vengeance, make a bunch of gobos, attack them, and then pew them out and dead. It's sweet. I I uh, back in the day, I wanted to make a a combo deck with um, enduring renewal. Explain the class. I, I I saw this card and I was like, this has to be a combo piece, right? Enduring renewal. This is this is just like bizarre cards of the cast here going on right now. Enduring renewal is a um, <laughs> four mana enchantment originally printed in Ice Age. Mm. And God, it has some weird text. Um, the first line of text is "Play with your hand revealed." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. Next, it says when you like, if you would draw a card, instead reveal it. If it's a creature card, put it into your graveyard. Otherwise, put it into your hand instead. Okay. So, for four mana, you get to play with your hand revealed, and if you draw a creature card, it just goes to the graveyard. Powerful. You don't draw another card instead. You just, you, it just goes to the bin, and that's that's it. <laughs> so why on earth would you want to play this card? You may ask. Ah, well, because there's a third line of text, and um, this line of text says, "Whenever a creature would be put into the graveyard from the battlefield, return it to your hand instead." Excellent. What does this mean? Well, with good old goblin bombardment. If you have any zero mana cost creature, you get to sag it for one. It hits the yard. Enduring Renewal says, ah, 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 back to the hand with you. Which then you get to cast again. Load up the bombardment. Pew, 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 pew. Rinse and repeat. Machine gun down whatever you so please. Excellent. However, um, Kung Fu is not legal and modern. Good so <laughs> this is not a combo that I was allowed to play. Um, <clears throat> so if you did want to play a combo similar to this, you'd have to play much, much worse cards. Like, um, Impact Tremors. Ooh, baby. Yeah. Which doesn't have a Zack outlet. Yeah, you have to play a Viscera Seer or something with it. So instead, you could play Wild Cantor. What does that <laughs> card do, you may ask? Well, <laughs> glad you asked. It is a card from, um, Guild Dissension, I believe. Is it Dissension? Okay. 
not guild pack. Uh, no, it was guild pack. My apologies. It was definitely guild pack. Yeah. Um, it is a hybrid red green mana for a one one, and it has sacrifice it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. That's just value. Yeah. So you play it for one mana. You sack it for one mana. Impact tremors. So um, your enduring renewal puts it back in your hand, in which you cues you can recast it with the one mana that it produced. Excellent. We we have done this. Demonstrated a loop. So add one impact tremors into the mix, and now every time you cast a Lord Cantor, it enters the battlefield and boops your opponent for one. So is Enduring Renewal modern legal then? Since you said it was from Ice Age originally. Did I get time shifted? It did. <laughs> it is time shifted. So it still has the old border, same art, but Excellent. it is indeed modern legal. Gotcha. You know, uh, Goblin Barberman is the type of card I could actually maybe see being printed in uh, Modern Horizons. Excellent. You should uh, you should pick up the rest of your playset, Chris. Although I'm pretty sure uh, if Goblin Bar makes the way into modern, the deck that it will be played in probably won't be one with enduring renewal. No, probably not. It'll probably have Bloodgast, would be my guess. <laughs> and uh, maybe uh, Diagra not Diagraph Ghoul. Uh, what's the one mana Grave Crawler? That's it, Grave Crawler. Get you uh, get you a zombie that comes back. He a snack, but he come back. Or, actually, you know this card seems pretty good in Super Rally. Oh, <laughs> oh man, Rally all your Zavera back. You don't even renewal. need Ember Fist Zubera to kill them. Yeah, bombardment, man. You know you should play. Uh, we could play Enduring Renewal with our Zubera. You could, but um, Enduring Renewal doesn't make him cost zero. No, but you just get to recycle your Zubera over and over. This is true. But well, I guess you can't you draw do. any more Zuberas. So your floating dream Zubera doesn't actually draw you anything. <laughs> oh no! Wait, wait, wait. Actually, it's a combo. You you draw a bunch of cards, and since you're not allowed to draw creatures, they just go straight to the bin, which means the Rally Ancestors, which you were allowed to draw, brings oh. them back. Oh man. Hot tech right here. Oh man, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to put our he put our heads and our collections together to to oh, bring man. back MTG old... Brewcast. <laughs> bring back this Zubera once again. Ship a list to Saffron Olive. See how long it takes him before he plays it on stream. Enduring Zuberas. How much how much do you think it would take to 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 lure Saffron Olive into playing Zuberas again? I don't think it would take a whole lot. Yeah, it probably wouldn't be that hard. I think you could just like ship him a deck list and mail him a Snickers bar, and uh, he'd be sold. And you probably don't even need to mail the Snickers bar. <laughs> I love that guy. I mean, for sure, if you ever, like, got this list posted, he'd be playing it within a few days. Yeah, he'd be all over it, like white on rice. <laughs> hmm, new goal. How much money do you think we'd have to sink into that? In, in league fees? <laughs> I don't know, are we still playing for Souls? <laughs> Did you have them? Uh, you Not like online. Them. Oh man. Anyways, we can uh, we can carry on this conversation uh, later. Leave the leave uh, some things up uh, to the imagination for the listener. <laughs> but um, if anything else you want to you want to mention before we close out? No, we went pretty pretty far off the deep end there. Okay. Well, thank you very much, listeners. Uh, thank you for checking us out and sticking around to the very end. 
If you're wondering where you can find out more of our content, you can head on over to mtgconflicts.com. You can support us and join the MTG Conflicts community, like we mentioned earlier, at patreon.com slash mtgconflicts. Also, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube under the same name. If you have any suggestions or comments you'd like us to read, please feel free to shoot us a message on one of those platforms. Again, we really do appreciate you sticking around, and we hope you'll join us in the next one.